Hello! And welcome back to The Snub Club, a podcast where we talk about the movie that got the most Oscar nominations, but absolutely no wins at all. I'm Danny Vincent. Who else is here? Oh, that was exciting. Um, I'm Sarah Knopf. Who else is here? (laughs) I'm the secretly rich man, Caleb Bunch. No spoilers yet, Cleb. All right. I'm just making a great throwback joke to our favorite, my man Godfrey. My man. My man. My man. (laughs) All right. Now, since we already did the countdown a few weeks ago, I have to do a different buildup of interesting facts about this Oscars. This was the first Oscars without any host. This is the Love and Academy Awards. There were no hosts. We went back to the future with this one. Yeah, we went back. Yeah, I forgot we did the crowd last week. But now we are back in the 30s. Caleb's favorite decade. Um, There was no host. Frank Capra was the first person to win three Best Director awards. Um, There's only two other people to ever do that. John Ford and William Wyler. Come on, Steven. Get it some... Not this year. Get it next year, please. We don't want you to get it this year. But next year for your... Has he announced his next movie? You don't know? Oh, I'm so excited for his movie after West Side Story. He's doing a... uh, autobiographical movie about growing up as a kid going under divorce but it's not like it's not like fantasy or anything it's just like a coming of age story interesting and like Michelle Williams is playing his mom and Seth Rogen's playing his cool uncle and I really and Paul Dano I think is dead I'm excited for it Spielberg you can win for that one you can get your third one for that one this is one of only two times in Oscar history that three of the four acting awards were won by repeat winners the only other time this happened was in 1994 uh this was the first time an actress in history got... Faye Bainter was the first one to ever get two acting nominations in the same year. Uh, first actress. Uh, Spencer Tracy was one of only two lead actors to win two years in a row. Do we all know who the other one is? Tom Hanks. Yeah! <laughs> Philadelphia and Forrest Gump. George Bernard Shaw's screenplay win, which was for some movie. I don't... I don't know. I'll look at it later. <laughs> I'll look at it later. Uh... Makes him the first person to win, the only person to win a Nobel Prize and an Academy Award. Until Bob Dylan. We don't talk about it anymore. Radio was banned at this ceremony. Very sad. So this is the year Snow White won seven Oscars. Eight Oscars. Won eight Oscars. One big size one and seven little, seven little ones. Um, there was a lot of other awards too that I don't really care about. And then Mickey Rooney and someone I don't know won the Juvenile Award. I know who Mickey Rooney is though, so... Who was also, that? Uh, De- Deanna Durbin was the other one. I also think it's pretty interesting that this Wikipedia article has an in-memoriam section that is labeled, this section is empty. You can help by adding to it. October 2018. I don't know why they haven't removed it yet after three years. <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> but what movie are we talking about today that got five nominations, much like Four Daughters? I mean, you usually say what the movie is. I don't. I don't. Merrily we live. Merrily we live. Merrily we live. Yeah, it's a. It's a merrily we live. Okay, so merrily Mary we live. Merrily we live was nominated for five Academy Awards, as has been said, uh, for Best Supporting Actress for Billy Burke, who lost to Faye Bainter for Jezebel. Uh, best sound recording for Elmer Raguse, who lost to Thomas T. Moulton for The Cowboy and the Lady. Um, and he would also be nominated five more times in sound recording and two times in visual effects. 
uh, best song for Merrily We Live. Merrily We Live. Uh, <laughs> with music by Phil Cherig and lyrics by Arthur Quenzer, uh, who do not have Wikipedia pages, but Quenzer was nominated in that same year for The Cowboy and the Lady. Um, best art direction for Charles D. Hall, who lost to Carl Jules, Jules Whale for The Adventures of Robin Hood. Um, and he was also nominated for Captain Fury. And best cinematography for Norbert Brodine, who That's lost to Joseph Ruttenberg. Huh? for the great waltz and he was also nominated for the lady of the tropics and the frogmen tell us about the 1930s well i've been doing that for quite a while <laughs> y'all can just go back and re-listen to our episode on four daughters or our episode on my man godfrey there's nothing new here 30s still ha- were happening they still sucked but this was directed by norman z mcleod who I should probably open the document that tells me if he'll be a returning guest or not, honestly. I'll get to Again, a returning guest? Yeah, you know, he's we have the, the filmmakers on these shows, right? Well, maybe we will someday. Hello, my name's Norman. Yeah, we're going to get Marty on. <laughs> oh my gosh. I can't wait to get Marty on to talk about uh, what's Kundun, right? Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Anyway. Well, I, um, so the director, he did quite a few, uh, I recognize like he did name. quite a, he did quite a few March Brothers films. He did Horse Feathers, I think is his biggest name one. Mm-hmm. And the producer of this film, uh, Hal Roach, uh, also the production company, Hal Roach Studios, uh, discovered Abbott and Costello. So mm. this studio ended up making a lot of, you know, slapstick type comedies. I think with that information in mind, uh, the lesson here is that no matter your past laurels, you can still fail. Trying doesn't matter when you always fail. Seth Rogen once said that. Star of upcoming Steven Spielberg film. Uh, this, was, this was a movie. I, I had thoughts. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's the was. podcast. There's. I have thoughts. I I have other things. This will be the only appearance of Mr. Norman on this podcast, by the way. He seemed to be on the downward end of his uh, career. Yeah. Congrats. You qualified only once, my bud. My man. It's a miracle that this got five nominations. I think that this movie is... I actually enjoyed it. I'm going to say I enjoyed it. I think it's insane that the Academy nominated something that was blatant plagiarism <laughs> but okay oh yeah, i thought you had more to that point <laughs> yeah. that's, i mean we'll talk about it later but for now that's my my um, initial thoughts i feel like these films to me felt pretty equal of course we're referring to the man the legend the godfried um uh because here's the thing as I think Godfrey is a little more insufferable of a film because the entire family is obnoxious. Whereas here I thought most of the family was actually funny. The thing to me, though, is is that to me, Godfrey is like consistently an average film. Whereas this totally tanks the ending in such a way that I was just like upset I watched it because of the last 10 minutes. So, I didn't like the original recipe, uh, Godfrey, 
and I don't like the imitation either. So one one thing that Godfrey has over this is William Powell. This made me wish for one charismatic actor. Oh, I think there was one. I think there was one, and he'll be who will be getting an Oscar nomination from me. Spoiler alert already. Glinda's, <laughs> Glinda the Good Witch is in this, so I feel like I should give her a shout-out, but she's not uh, good. I was going to say, uh, besides her, like, you know how, like, in Lilo and Stitch, where, like, all of our dogs are adoptable except that one? That's that's who she is. She's the one who's like, all these these family members are nice, except for this one. Which, of course, means she's the one who's Oscar-nominated, right? Like, <laughs> like <laughs> yeah. Was the... Was the mom in My Man Godfrey nominated too? Yes, it's a very weird trend. Okay. It's a oh, very okay. bizarre trend, and I don't very understand strange. it. <laughs> um, All right, we need to explain to the people what this is. Merrily we live. Merrily we live. It's a movie about merrily living. Um, So merrily we live is a film that, according to Wikipedia, was extremely successful. Um, I gotta say that that must be commercially critically at the time because um, not not anymore. Um, but what I would also say is that it's a movie about this woman, this mom, who loves to take in tramps. That's her words, not mine. She loves to take in tramps and rehabilitate them. And no one in the family likes this besides her. And that also, none of the the help likes this besides her either. Everyone is just annoyed by this habit, and everyone makes fun of her behind her back for it. And And in front of her back. Yeah. But she's very, she's annoyingly stupid, because, you know, I feel like every one of these movies has a very ditzy character that has to be ridiculous. In this one, it's the mom. Um, It goes beyond being ditzy, though, and it goes into me thinking that there's something medically wrong with her. Yes, I was definitely thinking that at the party. At one point, she's like, oh, was there a party? I don't what? what? And I'm like, you were there. What are you talking about? Uh, but yeah, she takes in this guy who just wants a phone call. Just he literally just wants a phone call. But he's like, oh, well, I guess I'll be your butler. Can I talk about the circumstances that led to him I going mean, to the I, house? Wait, 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 wait. This I was the best we, part of the we movie. We'll break the whole movie down. I'm just giving the basic synopsis <laughs> for the listeners. So then this guy becomes their chauffeur because he crashed the car, basically. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, he, it's a wacky class comedy about him falling in love with Jerry, who, which, might I say, yes. was like, I don't know. I kept thinking of the only other Jerry I know that's a woman, which is Jerry from Succession. So I was like, Jerry. Um, but no one else on this podcast watches Succession, so I will never reference it again in this episode. Anyway, uh, <laughs> sounds good. Yeah, yeah. Don't worry, don't worry. I got you. Where's Kieran? Uh, Kieran Culkin. Um, there's a brother character in this. I don't know why I'm saying Kieran Culkin. There's a brother character in this that's completely superfluous to the plot. You forget he's yeah, in it until like, he walks yeah. in and just whines about like, well, no one's paying attention to me, and then he just walks out of the movie again. <laughs> and you know what? He also reminded me of James Morrison. So what is going on here? <laughs> I will say there was one actor in this who reminded me of someone, but I think it was just because of the role he had. I don't think it was really because of his look. He reminded me of Timothy Spall. Uh, he wasn't even British, the guy I'm thinking of, I don't think so. Uh, anyway, shall we talk about the credits? Because that's where we always begin. 
What were the cre- it was just like a music there, video or no, something. No, I, nothing special. No, I want this year. I'm not even joking. I want to start at the end with the credits because something at the very end of this movie cracked me up. That I I want to end the conversation our overall podcast about like the movie right. I don't want to talk about the credits at the end. So I'm talking about it now. Is that I noticed during the credits, uh, Grosvenor is that how you say his name? I, I already forgot. Grosvenor. He is credited as Grosvenor, parentheses Butler. And he is probably the name in this movie who is said the most. <laughs> so the That's true. That he is the only one who's labeled by his job in the credits. And I was like, how? What? I just thought that was interesting to me is that he was he was credited as that because I do not know how you missed his name in this movie. They constantly go, Grosvenor, Grosvenor, get over here, Grosvenor. <laughs> like, that's my credits comment. No one else here is fascinated. I guess we should we can talk about Grosner. He is the best character played by. Let me look up someone who was actually in My Mad Man Godfrey. Oh, is he? Um, I didn't even Alan no. Mowbray. Yeah, he played this guy named Tommy Gray. I don't remember. Tommy well Gray was he the fiance? No, I, I wasn't. Tommy Gray, Tommy, the, the guy friend. who I thought was like, he was the guy who I thought sounded like Cary Grant, right? Tommy Gray was the guy who was his friend. Should they get coffee at some point? Yes. How do you remember so much about this? Because Tommy Gray was the, Tommy Gray was the one. This is interesting. Did I give him the nomination last time? <laughs> is this going to be my first repeat nomination? Spoiler. Uh, is this going to be? Because <laughs> I remember saying I really like Tommy Gray in My Man Godfrey. I don't know. I'll have to look so, it up. Uh, what am I on my letterbox list? Because <laughs> I have yes. that all recorded. Anyway, anyway, Alan Alan Mowbray, um, he is in a lot of this stuff. He had a, he had a nice long career and he's the first one who like gets jokes in this movie to do. And if he can't make them land, the fact that he couldn't make them land made me very worried for the rest of the, of the cast. And pretty early on, I kind of got the vibe from this, that all the comedy was going to feel like it was coming out of a sitcom that accidentally had its laugh track removed. Okay, well, I actually, see, I didn't like the movie, but I think it is, to to pull a page from your book from our last episode, I think all the humor in this probably worked very well in the 1930s. So to me, unlike my man Gothard, which was just like godfrey obnoxious, I, this, the humor made sense to me, even if it didn't work for me anymore. I'm like, oh, this, like, this makes sense to be a well, like a well-regarded comedy back then. So here's why I think that's not correct. Um, this everything in this, all the slapstick that's going on, the cross talking, all of this feels like it's out of a Marx Brothers movie. Down to the fact that nothing happens in this movie; it's solely relying on the humor to carry it. But it is so slow. The thing that works about Marx Brothers is like most of the jokes in Marx Brothers aren't actually that funny. It's all about how quickly they're coming. So like if only one in every three jokes land, it doesn't matter because you're getting like nine jokes a second. This though, you're getting maybe one joke a minute and very few of them landed for me. I don't know. I was moderately amused by a probably about 30% of the humor, which I know doesn't sound like a lot, but... Considering, like, for example, because this is this is a comparative criticism episode, my man Godfrey, everything in that movie just annoyed me and like made me want to like 
take a severe amount of Advil while I was well, watching remember the, it. <laughs> the big comedy moment from My Man Godfrey was the the monkey yeah, thing. What was his name? What's what was his name was weird. It was like, I don't know. Oh, that was rough. That was pretty bad. Yeah. So like. I don't know. I think this this has predefined characters to the sense where I'm like, I get their humor approach. And all of them work to me to a degree besides the mother. The mother just is annoying. But, like, the sister is funny. Like, and she makes sense as a little sister. Jerry's got her little dry wit to her. Um, the dad is amusing in a very, like, dad way. I thought him getting drunk was a little much. Um, but besides that, I liked him. And the brothers, whatever. But as I said, he just kind of walks in and out of the movie at random point. There and were I, two. I moments. liked Grofner. I thought Grofner was very charming and very funny. Not like ha 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 funny, but I was like, oh okay. Like I get why people would like this character. There are there were at least two moments where I laughed, and I did consistently enjoy the youngest sister. Um, and we'll talk about more her more a little bit. I assume. But um, so I don't want to say like there's nothing in this movie that works, but I definitely could see what they were going for and just them not sticking the landing. But Sarah, you haven't chipped in on the comedy. What do you think? I just want to talk about this one scene. When he's first introduced, what's his name in it? Rollins? Rollins. Yeah. Rollins is God. For, I'm, he's going to be interchangeable for me. But he is the you call him Wade. The tram a lot too. Yes, he's Godfrey too. And his introduction scene is so funny, and I honestly <laughs> don't know if it was intentionally funny or not. It had to be intentional, where he has this like crappy car, and he the car breaks down, and he needs to get a bucket of water. And the car, like, falls down a hill, and it is, like, the longest shot I have ever seen of a car okay. I don't think it's supposed hill. to be funny, because the thing is, that's a cool stunt, right? Like, they spent their money throwing that car down the hill, yes. so they want to include it in the film. But it just kept like. going. <laughs> I sure, thought it was so that was, funny. That was probably, like, what? A tenth of the budget was that shot? So, uh, <laughs> They want to use what they got, so... Well, it worked for me. Got a thumbs up for me. Um, alright. But let's, let's, let's say, so Grosner, uh, discovers that the, uh, family silver has all been stolen by Ambrose, who was the chauffeur that the mom, Glinda, brought in. Who, why I tell you, this Glinda woman, she... I call her Glinda, not only because of the actress playing Glinda, but because she, I guess, I just assumed when I was watching The Wizard of Oz, always she was putting on a voice, but no, that's just how she talks, and I was like, oh, okay. Well, <laughs> she, she, she plays it up in different roles, like here it's very played up, but like she's in a movie called, um, The Bride Wore Red, and she, she tones it down in that and goes for a more traditional, like, mid-Atlantic accent. Well... I don't like her, so go go back to Fairyland. By Fairyland, I mean Oz. Yeah. <laughs> so you had one job there. <laughs> Wait, you're telling me the Wizard of Oz takes place in Oz? Anyway. Oh, this would have been the year before the Wizard of Oz. Wizard oh, of Oz yeah. Right. yeah. Yeah, this is the year before. That's kind of interesting. Um, anyway, so everyone's, like, complaining that, of course, Ambrose stole their silverware. 
Um, most of all, Grovsner, because, I don't know, to me, I, I'm sorry, I want to go back to Finley Grovsner a bit. He works as the archetypical, like, annoyed butler. Like, he's the Cogsworth of this movie. And it's funny. He gives nice deadpan reactions. Caleb, you have no sense of humor. What can I say? No, no, no. Al Mulder is a good actor. He's, he's been in good things. I, I just, and I think he's doing as much with this as he can. I think the direction and the editing are letting him down. Yeah, I feel like we're going to have to talk about the editing at some point, because it is pretty rough. Well, yeah. yeah, I didn't like how every, like, ten minutes, it, like, cuts a weird, like... <laughs> like uh, color and an activity commercial and I was like whoa I got getting Paw Patrol in? commercials <laughs> I got Paw Patrol commercial I got Ron uh, Gone Wrong which might have I, I don't that movie I can't remember if it's called Ron's Gone Wrong or Ron Goes Wrong but I interchangeably say both of them for context, we had to watch this on Tubi, which of course has a lot of ads. Well, first I found it on YouTube and I was going to watch it, but it was so like just badly, like it was just bad. Like you, it was really blurry. It wasn't good. So I stuck with Tubi. And it really messed with the editing. Yeah. And now <laughs> you've bought all these Paw Patrol fire truck sets. Like I, I'm going to see Ron goes wrong 60 times. <laughs> No matter what, my commercial breaks always ended with a Hardee's commercial. And I've never had Hardee's in my life. Mine always now I'm ended. I'm kind of wondering. Mine always ended with Macy's commercials. So I don't know. Mine ended with a, an ad for every currently running show of Law and Order. <laughs> it was like, if you don't like this one, we'll watch this for you. Maybe you watch Law and Order Rise Crime. <laughs> you like class comedies from the 1930s? How about Law and Order? Anyway, uh, <laughs> that'd be really funny if we just like, when we were recapping this, like, and then we went to commercial break. <laughs> and when we came back. <laughs> oh my gosh. Anyway. Um, the um, editing is... The editing is really bad. There's there's nothing technically that interesting in this movie, except for the fact that, like, half the time when they're in a reaction shot, it fades to the next scene, like, midway through the actor reacting. Well, it also, like, cuts off, like, lines, like, spoken lines or, like, sound effects. It'll just, like, stop in the middle of the sound effect, which is very bizarre. <laughs> and then it'll cut to commercial mid-sentence. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm over it. <laughs> Um, yeah, the editing's bad. I don't know. I don't, I don't watch movies for editing. If I wanted something edited, I would watch a play. Um, so during this sequence, we meet all these characters. Uh, we meet, as we already said, Grovsner, who I like. We meet Jerry, who is very clearly the main character since she walks in, because there's nothing particularly quirky about her. So you go, oh, okay, so this must be the actual main character of the movie. <laughs> then we meet her sister. Who I could never really mentally place an age on. I honestly felt yeah. like she looked different ages depending on what scene she was in. I was very like thrown by that. Um, Seemed to be like early teens, maybe. See, I felt that at the party, but when I first saw her, I thought she was like, oh, she must be like in high school. Um, but then, like, yeah, at the party, well, I was don't like, know oh, how she long seems this like she's movie 12. Goes. So we meet her, we meet the brother, who again is irrelevant. And we meet the dad, who's eating at the table. He's like, I say, why? How can I eat my cantaloupe with this little, uh, this, this measuring cup? Grosner's like, Ambrose stole everything. Actually, no. 
He doesn't say it. Um, Jerry's like, I'll tell you. And for some reason, her sister's at the table, like, in a swimsuit. So the sister runs upstairs and like, don't tell him till I come back down. And by the time she comes back down, the whole story's over. Felt really bad for her there. The, <laughs> the sister is, uh, the sister, Marion, is played by uh, Benita Granville. And she was 15 at time of uh, okay. the film being released. And I will assume this character's 15. Because that seems about the right age anyway, for what it is. Um, but yeah... So they're like, we can't let mom take in any more tramps because this keeps happening. And Grovsner also is very much like a, like, I say, I have so much of my own work put into this that, I don't know, I'm giving him a accent. He doesn't really have one. Um, I put so much of my own work into this and she keeps bringing these tramps who mess with my things and blah, blah, blah. But it's foreshadowing. Uh, so... Emily says, that's the mom's, like, I won't bring in any more tramps. Then we get the scene that Sarah was talking about where um, they they spent all their budget on pushing the car off a cliff. (laughs) Yeah. It's okay. I don't know if it's the best scene, but it's okay. He goes to the closest house, which is this people's house. He's like, excuse me, can I use a telephone? And they go, uh, you know, I just gotta say one thing. Um, Considering the twist of the movie, air quotes, because we all knew this was going to happen, is that the twist doesn't really account for why he was wearing the clothes he did when he went to that house. Nope. Not yeah, at all. The, it nope. makes no the sense. Twist, <laughs> the twist, I feel like, was really only added to be, like, my man Godfrey. Like, that was, like, it wasn't really, like, openly stated. It wasn't really, like important I, at all that's why i like i i audibly screamed when it happened and i i was watching it i was just like no i was like of, and then i was like of course of course we have five minutes left in this movie and this is what i think we never gave our general thoughts on this movie i think the last 10 minutes of this movie totally sink it for me like it is terrible the last 10 minutes of this movie <laughs> um Here's the thing that's weird. We we critiqued Godfrey for some poverty tourism with him getting dumped uh, and then going to the dump. Um, but this is actual poverty tourism because, like, I have to assume because they never explain it that he just puts on, like, a stereotypical outfit of a tramp, lets his, like, beard grow out for a little bit, and then just drives around the, the countryside Waiting for stuff like this to happen. Maybe he was researching for his next book. So he, maybe he's an artist. So he's a. I don't know if you guys remember the uh, conversations about Nomadland and uh, Chloe Zhao and uh, Poverty Shores. <laughs> so you're telling me he's Chloe Zhao, according to these uh, detractors of her. Yes, he is exactly <laughs> Chloe Zhao. Well, right. he's not Chinese, so. Yeah, but he's gonna direct a Marvel movie. Uh, so. <laughs> I can't wait. <laughs> that's the book he's writing. So, anyway, uh, moving on. Uh, he's, he's creating the Eternals. Yeah, that's what he's writing. He's, he's like, living with these people have inspired me to write the Eternals. Because <laughs> it felt like an eternity. <laughs> oh my gosh. I have another podcast for all that. Uh, <laughs> um, anyway, so... He accidentally gets a job, but he doesn't really put a fight up for it, because as we discover at the very end of the movie, I guess he's a poverty tourist. Um, I don't know. It, this movie doesn't really even have a plot. 
Like, yeah, nothing really, nothing really happens. Nothing happens. Shenanigans happen. He, he, the other people don't like him, and then he wins them over because he knows how to behave like a smarmy, up uh, like rich person. Because big surprise, he's a smarmy Wait, rich person. I do want to. I, I do want to read one thing for the Wikipedia page that made me laugh because I feel like it's heavily editorializing uh, what this film is, which is about right after he gets the job, right. And he's like, uh, for some reason they use the word adopted, but uh, he is immediately adopted by Emily Kilborn uh, and then appointed as the replacement chauffeur. Despite the rude efforts of Grofsner and Emily's daughters, Jerry and Marion. And I'm just like, rude efforts? I don't think they were being rude. I think they correctly wanted their mom to kick this really bad habit. I don't think it's rude for them to do that their father... The, 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 I hate to be like that, but like everyone in this family agreed besides mom, this was going to stop happening. So I don't think it's rude. Say, mom, don't do this again. Because well, it really, because it, it's not, because it's not charity. What they're doing is not charity. That is very important. This is mom trying to prove that she can like, this is her projects. That like, It is outright said these are projects to her. So to me, it's not like I'm, I want to clarify here. I'm not saying don't help homeless people. I'm saying that in the context of this film, it's not helping. It is trying to make, prove how good you are as a person. That is what the, the motive is here. Well, the proof she I think Jerry, them. I think Jerry was intentionally rude because she was like, "Go get a job" and blah blah blah, which is surprisingly so poignant today. Good job. Um. Every all of the family members are rude. They're all terrible people. I think Grovesner's okay. I think Grovesner deserves a Grovesner's not family member. He's listed in the films I just said, okay? He's the help. Grovesner's cool. He, here's my problem with this movie. is that, And it kind of was going off of what you were saying, Sarah, about what Jerry Jerry's dialogue. You never see an actual, like, person who is in poverty. Except, I guess, maybe the... We'll get to them at the end of the movie. But... <laughs> but there's no sympathy here. Everything is for a joke. In Lady for a Day, there was sympathy. In My Man Godfrey, gosh darn it, there was sympathy. It may still, at the end of the day, have been really, um, you know, unhelpful solutions, but at least there was empathy for the people involved. Here, there is nothing, because all we ever see is a bunch of rich people. I think and then there the help. is something, but it's a very superficial thing. I think everyone in this movie is hot. Um, and as such, it's a little more like it's a little more like Hollywood. You know, like I'm not really defending the movie, to be clear. I'm saying this is why I forgive it. That to me, like, I think every single person in this movie, like, I think the father, I think the mother, these are all very... This is a weird thing for me to argue, I know, but I think this is designed to be a commercial play in a way even my man Gothfried wasn't. It's like, look at all these cool people, it's a romance, and they're all very attractive people. It's like Shang-Chi. Well. But white. Well, but white. <laughs> um, I think that the big difference between this and my man Gothfried is. I can say the big the difference between this and Shang-Chi. Sorry, continue. <laughs> Is the dynamic between Rollins and Jerry because in my man Godfrey, it seems like Godfrey has nothing to do with whatever her name is. 
she's also weird and crazy. Um, and Jerry's relatively normal. In this, I feel like their dynamic... I mean, she does have, you know, a position of power over him. But he, by the end, he kind of turns that on his head. Um, I feel like... I feel like their dynamic is actually pretty okay in terms of how they flirt and how they are attracted to each other. Um, they have one scene that I actually really like where he helps her get into her house and they flirt a little bit and it's actually pretty good, I think. No, I like that too. I think the romance works well. Uh, well, okay. Here's The romance here's the one works point well when it over. focuses on the romance and not on like jealousy and stuff. Go on, though. Here's the, here's the point I will give it over Godfrey. I don't know if there's an age gap between these actors, but they at least never imply that there's an age gap between the characters like they did in Godfrey. And like you said, Sarah, they are, they're on kind of the same level. Um, Here's where it doesn't work. I didn't realize that they were doing more than flirting until like the end when you do get into the love triangle stuff. And there's so little time to really develop the love triangle that I was just kind of like, Oh yeah, I guess this makes sense that this is where we're going. But, um, is this really where we need to be going with this plot? Before. Yeah, I agree. The, the love triangle stuff is stupid and we'll get into that when we get to that part of the plot. Before we were moving forward the plot, we forgot to mention the family members that we didn't mention, which is that there are a lot of animals in this movie, not just the dogs. There are there are a lot of pets in this movie. Um, there's a bird named Dopey. There are the fishies. Uh, yes. Which are only ever referred to as fishies. They're never fish. They're just, oh, look at the fishies. And there's the two dogs, which I thought this was a joke initially, but then it turned out it wasn't. <laughs> Who are named Get Off the Rug and You Two. Those are, those are their names. It is not a joke. It's... Played as a joke initially, but then it turns out, nope, it's, it's what they call them. <laughs> There's also a white rabbit. Oh, yeah, you're right. I, I forgot about the, the rabbit. rabbit. Yeah, yeah. There's a rabbit. You're right. There's a lot of animals in this movie. Um, And I was like, oh, cool. Do you think that's just something where they're like, animals are funny? We're just going to put in as many animals as possible? I mean, the dogs can't give the animals anything to do. Dogs are great. <laughs> The dogs were so untrained. <laughs> That's <laughs> great. That's <laughs> I think it's something where it's like rich people are eccentric, so they have animals. Because like the mom, she like talks to the fish and stuff, which I mean, if I had a fish, I would talk to it, but it's played off as being weird. <laughs> I like the um, I feel like that that hypothesis is probably true, especially because the fact is the most normal animal, of course, are the dogs, and they have the weirdest names imaginable. So it's like, yeah, like eccentric rich people. And I don't remember what breed they are, but they are dogs that you would assume wealthier people would have. They're good boys because mm-hmm. they're they're kind of big and they they're big and they take a lot of management. And like Sarah was saying, they are very, very, very untrained. <laughs> they like bite the actors. It's so weird. <laughs> but they were good. I mean, they added a lot of yeah. I was like, dog, <laughs> whatever they were on. Yeah. <laughs> they were I, yeah, I'm curious I'm curious to know what the outtake outtakes would have looked like because these dogs were big boys. They're they're no Asta. Yeah. That is true. They're no Asta. 
There should have been a dog in the crowd. Speaking of dogs, my <laughs> dog is crying. Mary. Mary, we gotta have Mary on sometimes. <laughs> well, we are living merrily. <laughs> merrily we live. <laughs> um, where were we in the story? Should we just... I hate to be like, let's jump ahead. Oh, and you know what? Jerry's There's dating someone. Jer- yeah, I know. Jerry's dating someone, but again, kind Wheeler of forgettable character. Is his last name. Wheeler. Um, Tom Wheeler, I think. Herb, I, I have it open. Who cares? Dad comes home drunk. Um, it's a weird scene. I don't really like actually the drunk scene to me, personally. I get why it's there. It's supposed to be, oh, look, he's not perfect either, but it's also, like, I mean, I, I don't really like... This is a movie of archetypes. I don't think going against the archetype just to, like, go against the archetype is really a great idea, you know? So, I don't know. It was just, it wasn't funny to me, you know? Sorry. Sorry, Dad. Um, I don't know. So, a party begins. They merrily live all the time, you know? So. I don't know, Danny. I, does anything important actually happen here? Like, I know... Plot stuff kind of happens in the background, and there are jokes, but, like, what what's there to talk about until the last ten minutes? No, 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 there is stuff to talk about before the last ten minutes. we got to talk about the senator party. That is actually relevant. Guess. So there's a senator party. They they invite the senator over. Why? I'm not exactly sure. They kept going, oh, we got to meet with the senator. I, I did not catch why the senator was important other than he was a senator. For some reason, Marion's like, I'm going to prank everyone so that way... Rollins is the, uh, the at the bank, not the bank, at the party, and we're gonna. I'm gonna set him up with the senator's daughter, so that way my sister gets jealous. And uh, Wikipedia does actually again. I realize with Wikipedia, but I like this. It says through a contrived prank, and yes, it is very contrived. Isn't that all? Isn't that all pranks? No, they're I all would contrived say in some way. No, no, no. Contrived <laughs> to me implies that like this is overly convoluted to get this to work. It makes no sense that it works, but it does because the movie is required to do it. Um, but yeah, he ends up getting set up with the daughter of the senator, and the next morning, we're really just skipping the whole movie. It's it's not a good movie. Guys. Nothing happens. Yeah, it's not really a good movie. This uh, he wakes up in the bed. Of the, uh, like, a rich, like, one of their guest bedrooms. And he's like, can I please have breakfast in bed? And they give it to him because, gosh darn it, the senator loves him. Senator's daughter loves him. So then we get the love triangle, and they go golfing, and then we get to the last ten minutes, which I'll let someone else explain until I get to my point on the last ten minutes. I honestly checked out, so I don't know. Uh, well, we got the commercial break, and when we come back from commercial, we arrive at a general store. Yeah, the cops show up to this general store. They're like, yo, have you have you seen this guy, uh, Wade Rawlings? And he's like, yeah, he comes here every year and he uh, he rents a car from me. And I haven't seen him in a minute, but, you know, I figured he was just kind of off doing his thing. They're like, well, we found the car. It's wrecked. It's at the bottom of a mountain. We think he's dead, but we can't find the body. And oh, so like, that oh, just kind of leads... <laughs> Yeah, that kind of just leads to everyone thinking he's dead. I mean, we have to talk about him, Danny. I I assume this is part of your your yeah, the this point is my you point. want to make. This is my point is that we finally see the one person of color in this entire film, um, George, who's played by Willie Best, who um I took I took a little wiki trick on Willie Best. 
before I explain really best, I'll explain George. George watches the shop when he goes, I don't know why it takes the owner of the shop this long to go identify the car, but it's like the middle of the night. George is asleep. George wakes up. Oh, and uh, what's it? Wade knocks on the door for whatever reason. And then when he goes to walk to the door, he gets stuck on something. He gets stuck on a... His toe was tied to a chair to prevent him from sleepwalking, he says. And, he, and he's convinced the entire time he's he's an idiot, right? Like, he is a... He's not not a not a very uh, aspirational character for this film. So I decided to look up Willie Best. Because I was wondering, because I recently listened to a podcast. Uh, I, um, You must remember this by Karina Longworth, which is a very popular podcast that I Great finally got Great podcast, on. yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm listening to the Song of the South series because it's the one topic she's covering. She's covered that I actually know about beforehand that I'm going to go back and listen to the rest. And she's talking about, you know, well, Song of the South. Obviously, you can tell where I'm going with this conversation. But she talks about Step and Fetch It, um, who is a one of the big, I would say, it, it, would the word minstrel actor make be correct, Caleb? Because I, I know you yeah. actually took cl- more classes on like the subject than I did. Um on like the history of African Americans in Hollywood. Um, I'm not as well read on it as I should be. Um, well, on Wikipedia, it says Willie Best, who was also known as Sleep and Eat, uh, was uh, his work was like Step and Fetch It, uh, was often reviled because he was called on to play stereotypically lazy, illiterate, and simple minded characters. He, of 124 films that he appeared in, he received screen credit in at least 77, which was unusual for African-American actors of the time. The other interesting thing on his Wikipedia page, besides the comparison to Step and Fetch It, is, um, tells you what he is, is that his legacy is the Sleep and Eat Munker resurfaced in a 2000 motion picture satire that I think we all are aware of, even if we haven't seen it, titled Bamboozled, directed by Spike Lee. Yes. Yes, great um, movie. Well, Sleep and Eat is uh, portrayed in one of the uh, one of the two characters on the TV show of the 21st century. I haven't seen it. I want to watch it. I know it's on Criterion, uh, but one of the characters in the TV show is named Sleep and Eat. Have you y'all have you any of y'all seen any other uh, Willie Best movies? I would have to check Letterbox. I don't think. Yeah, I'm not I, this, sure. Yeah, so in school, I watched The Littlest Rebel, which is a Shirley Temple movie. And not a good one. Um, although I would argue there are no good Shirley Temple movies. But this one's especially bad. And a good Shirley um, Temple drink. Tell you one. Those are great dinks. But I think you get a better idea of what the type of character he and Step and Fetch It would play in, um, in that movie. Where um, Shirley Temple kind of, uh, you know, the she's a southerner and the evil north comes down and her faithful slaves stick by her as she kind of goes to find her dad, who's a Confederate soldier. And there's one who's kind of the Uncle Tom type caricature who's like sticking by her and he's kind of the main one. And then uh, Willie Best is there to kind of be the lazy stereotype who's always trying to find like a cowardly way out or uh, a way to get around doing the job. Um, and it's one of the many... Uh, type of characters that were popularized popularized through minstrel shows, but it mainly upheld um, the stereotype 
that uh, black people were lazy and that they were always trying to kind of find a way to um, work around, which um, was used to justify uh, poor treatment of them in first in slavery and then um, in the workspace. So basically, uh, Willie Best popping up in this, uh, you know how I usually go like, oh, this felt very racist to me. In this case, I know it was very racist. You know, like I, I don't need to be like, I, I think like it's a very clearly a, min- a minstrel stereotype that when I researched it, sure enough, my suspicions are definitely true. Uh, and I'm sure you guys probably came to the same conclusion. I'm not like trying to brag or anything. I'm like, yep, this made me more uncomfortable probably than anything else in this podcast so far in regards to race, but I might also be forgetting moments. Um, I do want to say before we move on though, that I did look up this Shirley Temple movie on Letterboxd and I see Caleb that you edited your review with a big, bold lettering. And I'm like, Ooh, bold. That's exciting. Oh, I always do my edits like that. Oh, I've never noticed. Probably cause I don't usually reread older reviews of yours. I also see also, I that, usually don't edit them. Yeah, I see that you and Julius both hate this movie, which sounds right. Sounds, yeah. sounds about right. <laughs> uh, but anyway. The one redeeming fact about The Littlest Rebel is that at a certain point, like, a Union soldier finds Shirley Temple and, like, kind of adopts her. And then at the end, she's living with both the Union soldier and her biological father. And so, and, like, it's like, the title says, like, it's like she had two dads. And so me and my friend Quinn just leaned over to each other and kept whispering, two dads. Two dads. Two dads, one Shirley. Wow, Shirley Temple said gay rights. Two dads and one temple? That's a wedding. Uh, <laughs> all right. Um, but yeah, so we discover the next day that the newspaper reports the death of E. Wade Rollins, a noted novelist. Um, and then the remaining three minutes of the movie are just the main characters tripping on things. Over Which course. is funny. Also, I thought that was funny. Was the stream randomly. I don't know how this happened. The stream randomly jumped back 30 seconds from me at one point. And I, I, I didn't notice it. And I was like, wait, this already happened. Did they just edit this? <laughs> I on the same footage twice. And then I, then I checked and I was like, okay, okay. It was, I don't know how it happened, but it jumped back. But I was so concerned. I was like, and they just keep tripping over each other. Oh, and, and they're all holding like pitchers of water. So they always spill the water. <laughs> yes, and I screenshotted a certain line that cracked me up, which is, this is worse than an epidemic, which, uh, very timely. <laughs> um, and then once they're all done spilling over each other and it's tripping and, like, screaming <laughs> for three minutes, finally Jerry <laughs> runs to Rollins and kisses <laughs> And that's the movie. Well, I feel like it's important to know. So he has to he has to spill water on her. And the thing that she says is, I knew you loved me, which is the exact same line in my man got for you. (laughs) Someone was looking over uh, Kava's shoulder during (laughs) during the test. The other the other important. Oh, wait, wait. I want to jump back to one thing I noticed, and then I'll we'll, uh, talk about the end, which is that at the party, such a random jump back, I noticed that there was a, the first ever, at least to me, I've noticed an in-joke in these movies where they say Eddie Moran cannot make it to the party. And I was like, yeah. that name sounds familiar. I feel like I read it in the last hour. 
it's the writer of the movie. And I was like, oh, ha, 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 that's funny. Anyway, that's the only point I had to make there. But anyway, so at the end of the movie, we jump ahead. So I don't disclose amount of time. And uh, the, the Goff's nerve, whatever his name is, uh, walks in wearing the exact costume that Roland showed up in and goes, I'm going to be a tramp. It seemed to work out well for the other guy. Even though it established that the other guy is not a tramp. <laughs> and then it cuts the cards while he like makes a weird face to the camera and it's like <laughs> yeah his face it's stayed on his face joke. for too long <laughs> it's, a, it's a joke that makes no sense such a weak joke to land on but then again that's fitting for this movie barely we live barely we live I've got a question for y'all. Were you merry while watching this? Uh, well, I mean, the Ron Goes Ron commercial got me pretty hyped. Um, I mean, Mary was with me. So. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. I'll, I'll take that as a, as a form of being merrily living. I'm just dreading doing the nominations. Oh, well, I already know what I'm doing. Well, I don't know what I'm going to give it to win because I forgot what it was nominated for, Sarah. Wait, yeah, so. wait, we have to read the one fun fact on Wikipedia. There are other three titles for this film. We got to pick which one is the best. So obviously we have one option, which is Merrily We Live. The other three options are Take It Easy, Love Without Reason, and my personal favorite, Dark Chapter. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I was oh going to make a joke. I was going to make a joke about how, yeah, love without reason works because I don't see any reason why anyone would love this guy. Um, Dark that last one's pretty good. Dark chapter's incredible. That's so, like, I would not think this was a comedy. I would have gotten so excited if you had told me last week that we were watching Dark Chapter. <laughs> it was just this. Um, other interesting things is um, Ed Sullivan added additional dialogue for this film and I think this is interesting they remade this in 1955 in Mexico with the title that would be translated into English as School for Vagabonds which would be my vote for the title of this movie personally over Dark Chapter I like School for Vagabonds (laughs) alright we can now give now you can give it Sarah sorry about that I thought Dark Chapter was too good not to mention (laughs) All right, so we got Best Supporting Actress for Billy Burke, Best Sound Recording, Best Song, Best Art Direction, and Best Cinematography. Oh, that one hurts. I I think you guys know my answer. Merrily we live. Merrily we live. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's it's, it's an earworm. Sure. Like, it's an earworm. (laughs) I have no idea. (laughs) I guess I'll say sound recording because I thought that the song, I guess this, maybe this is cheating, but the lyrics in the song, like they were very, you could hear them very well. And also the dog barking was not, it sounded like dogs barking. It didn't sound like random noise. And that's the only reason. I forgot there was a song until I got on this call and Danny kept singing it. Um, so I'm going to give Danny's rendition of it best song. Thank you. Thank you. 
I'd like to thank the Academy, uh, what's it, 80 years after I wrote this. Um, now, what will we add as a nomination? Um, oh, let me pull up her name. It's going to be Mar- the actress who played Marion. So I'm going to read it, or I'm going to nominate uh, Bonita Granville, uh, who played Marion. I thought that she was a convincing child actor and um, one of the few people who did not annoy me. So she gets supporting. I initially was going to say Jerry, but I'm going to... This is allowed, right? An award that doesn't exist yet. As long as it's not dance direction, sure. (laughs) Okay. I'm going to go with visual effects for that car. (laughs) (laughs) What... You know, it's going to be amazing if, you know, like, the process of this podcast, they finally introduce the stunt coordination Oscar that people are begging for. Because <laughs> I'll just be like, retroactively, I'd like to give every film we watched about stunt coordination. <laughs> um, mine's Alan Mowbray. I already said that was going to happen, supporting actor. I think he's good in this. I enjoyed every time he was on screen. Even if the material wasn't that great in the scene. That was... <gasps> Merrily we live. Merrily we live. <laughs> Have fun sinking all that, Joe. <laughs> Secret drum roll, please! Finally make it. The 12th Academy Awards. A film that got six nominations. Leo McCary's Love Affair! <laughs> love Affair. Is this a crossover between Love Parade and Affairs of Cellini that no one wanted? Is Leo McCray someone I should know? Or McCary, someone I should know. His most famous film on Letterboxd is Duck Soup. Oh, another, I like Duck Marx Soup. Brothers. Also, The Awful Truth and Make Way for Tomorrow. Those are his other most famous films. Okay, okay. Oh, good. This is also on Tubi, so we can well, watch For uh, me, it's on Hoopla. The, I have Hoopla, the... so I will watch it without commercials. Oh, okay, good. I have Hoopla, too. But maybe I want to see what the Paw Patrol pups are up to, so who knows? Paw Patrol! <laughs> Paw Patrol, you'll be there on the double. Wherever there's a problem, you would like to face Ryder and Danny. Which song is better, Paw Patrol theme or Merrily We Live? Easy. Paw Patrol theme is a much better song. (laughs) All right, send us out. I'm Danny Vincent. (laughs) Follow me on Letterboxd at Blank Vincent. If I ever watch wrong goes wrong, I'll put up a review there. You can also listen to my other podcast, Wise with Titan and Dan. Very soon, we will be getting into a... I don't know if you guys heard. There's rumors that the new Spider-Man movie might use characters from older iterations of it. We don't know, but just to be careful, we are going to watch all the Spider-Man movies that don't have Tom Holland in them. And both Caleb and Sarah will be on very soon, not before this episode's out, but very soon to talk about Toby Maguire, a couple of Toby Maguire's films. Uh, and also, sadly, Caleb, we will not be on together, so we can't debate our what yeah. we think are the best Toby movies. But yeah, well, Caleb will also be on to talk about a certain filmmaker that was reminding the the, the, the what's his face Wade 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 was Caleb will be on to talk about Chloe Jack because you know. When we get a female directing a Marvel movie, I have to invite the man of the podcast on to talk about her. The white man. <laughs> <laughs> well, t- to be fair, Sarah is a white woman, so I wasn't really thinking about race here. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, you, be sure to check that out. Um, I'm sure I'll mention that next time because I, yeah, because that will still be going on.
at the next episode. But yeah, do that. I am Caleb Bunn. You can find me at Caleb from the Real World on Instagram and YouTube. I'm currently doing a series on one of my favorite cult classic comic books, Alan Davis's and Chris Claremont's Excalibur. So go check that out. I also have a bunch of other podcasts, All New 52, Star Wars Therapy, and Hot Trash Unlimited, which is coming up on its 50th episode. Gabriel Um, is excited. (laughs) Gabriel is our 49th. Oh, wow. We have something really fun planned for 50. Well, he still deserves the honor of 49, you know, right before the big one. (laughs) Um, And special thanks to our editor, Joe. Uh, for editing this and every episode. Yeah, thanks, Joe. You have a lot of singing. This, this is the musical episode. <laughs> um, and I'm Sarah Knopf. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram uh, at SGK29, P-S-S-G-E-K-A-Y 29. Um, you can find me at Letterboxd, just my name, Sarah Knopf. Um, all month of October, I'm doing um, a special thing on my Letterbox called Febtober, where I watch 31 horror movies directed by women. So check that out. And you can find us, The Snub Club, on Facebook at just The Snub Club, um, Twitter, Snub Club Pod, and Instagram, Snub Club Podcast. Someone just paid me on Vimbo. Uh, speaking of paying, you will pay us a visit, hopefully, in two weeks. you <laughs> love affair. See you then. Bye. Bye. <laughs>